Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN Radio with a very special guest this morning. He's special for a whole lot of reasons. Not only is he special to me as a good friend, but he is also special because this topic is something he cares about so deeply personally. And it's a very special topic and one that I think isn't spoken about enough. So here's a good excuse to talk about it, because October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And Dr. Kurt Venator, Chief Veterinary Officer at Purina, welcome to the program. Hey, Steve. Thank you so much for having me today. Greatly appreciate it. So why does a company that makes pet food, other things too, but is most known for pet food, why does a company that is known for pet food care about domestic violence. You know, Steve, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you down the path, the story, if you will, because it's a very organic and, and natural one. So uh, back a little bit before 2013, um, one of our associates ha- had learned about some of the statistics that were out there in the marketplace. Um, and I'll share a few of those right now um, that really brought it to life for us. Because at Purina, we always care about enriching the bond between pets and the people who love them. But they heard some statistics, and the current statistics are are the following. One in three women and one in four men uh, will experience domestic abuse in their lifetimes. Um, Only 17% of domestic violence shelters across the country in the U.S. accept pets. And then the other two stats really hit us and, and really made us want to become involved once we heard these as well, which is 48% of domestic violence victims will not leave an abusive relationship out of fear of what may happen to their pet. So almost half. And then 70% of domestic violence victims report their abuser has either threatened, injured, or killed their pet. And so what we learned out of this, and this was new information to us back in 2013, was that pet ownership is a true obstacle to individuals and families trying to flee domestic violence. And so once we heard that, uh, we met with our senior leadership and decided we needed to get uh, immediately involved and really wanted to make a change and help create a movement around this. Which you uh, have done. So there was a big symposium held in New York City. I was honored to be a part of this with Urban Resource Institute. And uh, tell me about that. So sure. So once our, our associate uh, made made all of us aware of this, we decided, hey, we need to get involved. And what we recognized is, to your point, you know, in your opening comments, we're a pet food company. We know a tremendous amount about nutrition and the human animal bond, but you know, we did not know at that point in time a lot about domestic violence and pets. Um, and we learned that the Urban Resource Institute, led by their CEO Nathaniel Fields was um, looking for assistance, right, to find a partner that might be able to bring in that other element, right, the the pet angle, the pet element as well, to help understand how best to proceed. And so we started working with them um, in 2013 uh, with the Urban Resource Institute on their then-new People and Animals Living Safely program. That's called PALS, People and Animals Living Safely program. And we worked with them very closely, and Steve, you're aware of this because we presented on this set together uh, multiple times. And and it was a way to basically uh, make sure that we can help um, victims of domestic violence, um, you know, remove themselves from those terrible situations 
with their pets, knowing that that pet ownership could be an obstacle. So um, we worked with them on a number of different things, um, including Purina Pet Havens at a number of these domestic violence shelters in New York City. And, and people may ask, you know, what is a Purina Pet Haven? It's an outside area within the secured environment of that shelter that people can go outside and really, you know, spend time with their pets and also recover at such an important time with their pets. And I'm often asked, well, why is a, you know, a, a secured outdoor area so important? Well, the reality is, as I learned early on, you know, many of these victims are fleeing domestic violence and their abusers will actually stalk them, right? They'll, they'll wait outside their veterinary office. They'll wait outside dog parks. And so the concept of just taking your dog um, down the street for a walk outside of one of these shelters, it's just not safe. It's not an option. And so by building these Purina pet havens um, at a number of facilities in partnership with URI, you know, we were able to provide folks with a, a safe place for both them and their animals to heal together. I want to back up a little bit. Uh, so as you know, I'm on the... I don't know, the board, I guess it is. This is some fancy title of the National Link Coalition. And it was Phil Arkow and others uh, who years ago came up with this term that is to this day used by law enforcement, simply the link. And that is the link between violence to people and violence to animals. And we know that if there is domestic abuse or domestic violence occurring in a household to an animal, Probably a person is suffering as well or will be very, very soon. Or the reverse. If, if it's happening to a person, it probably will happen to an animal as well. And, and this involves a lot of homes. So if we were talking uh, about 1952, I don't know exactly what the numbers were back then, but I would suggest 35%, I guess, of uh, households had a pet. And some of those pets were outdoors only. Today, most homes in America, statistically, over 60, 60% have a companion animal. And in over 90, well over 90% of those cases, they're members of the family. So it's a very different world today. Can you talk about all of that? Well, sure. I, you know what, I'll, I'll take it from the, the, what we often, as you know, talk about, you know, the, the pet, pet owner bond. And I'll quote my good friend, um, Dr. Marty Becker, who is your good friend as well. You know, I love his phrase that, you know, within just, you know, a few generations here, pets have moved from the backyard to the kitchen, right, to mm-hmm. our bedrooms. As I like to say, the plush pillow tops uh, of, you know, of, uh, of the bedrooms. And, and with that, you know, which is a beautiful thing, especially as a veterinarian, you know, our relationship has so deepened with our pets, um, which is good for our pets, and it's good for us. There are all sorts of physiological benefits and emotional benefits uh, conferred in both ways, to be honest with you, and we've done a lot of research in that. But, but to your point, I, I think that the challenge here and why we wanted to get involved from the start is that pet ownership for those folks that are being abused is an obstacle. I mean, if you think about only, you know, I think when we started this, uh, back in 2013, I think only 10% of domestic violence shelters in the United States allowed pets. And then it gradually went up to 15%, and we're now at currently 17%. But pets are now part, and, and they should be part of our family. I mean, I've seen the evolution of pets in the family even evolve throughout my, my own generations, from my grandfather to my parents to our Labradors now. And, 
you know, and so with that, um, if someone, an individual or a family is suffering from domestic violence, we want to see if we can help remove the pet as an obstacle so that they can leave um, for a, a safe environment. And that's good not only for that individual or family, but also certainly the pet as well. I want to talk when we come back about how pets are not only abused, but used by the perpetrators. And uh, also, I want to talk about the domestic violence shelters, the advantages of allowing pets, and much more. When we do come back with Dr. Kurt Venator of Purina on WGN. Dr. Kurt Venator is the chief veterinary officer at Purina. I'll tell you, this company must be a great company to work for because I've been at events, and you've heard me tell the story before, where before you've introduced me, you've introduced me to people in the room. And uh, people raise their hand and say, here's my name, I've been with Purina 28 years. Here's my name, I've been with Purina 18 years. Here's my name, I've been with Purina 34 years. And then I ask, hasn't anyone ever been with Purina for two weeks? I mean, it is a, it's, it go, harkens to the day of loyalty, really, I, I think. How long have you been with Purina? I've been with Purina now 20 years. That's Steve. my point. Yes. I don't think anyone's been with Purina. Somebody somewhere must be with Purina 20 days. I, I don't know. Uh, and it's a company that has social responsibility, if you will, in its DNA and has chosen, going back to, you said, 2013, to focus on domestic violence, which you wouldn't think of being a pet issue, but it is a pet issue as well as a human issue. And and we're talking about that, and we t- describe the link and how if there's violence in the household, if there's a pet in the household... That pet is used in a variety of ways that I'll let you talk about uh, to demonstrate that I have control. Can you explain? Uh, yes, certainly, certainly, Steve. I mean, I mean, the reality is when you hear these stories of abuse, um, leveraging the pet to get the abuser what, uh, what they want, it really brings to life, way beyond the statistics, the, the important work that New Urban Resource Institute, Red Rover, and, and, and quite frankly, we've been really doing. Um, I, I think for me, it really was cemented way beyond the statistics. When I was in New York City uh, at one of the openings, and I met um, someone who's abused, and, and they shared their very personal story. And, and you know, this individual... Uh, their abuser was, if they didn't, you know, get home within a certain amount of time, their abuser was hanging the cat outside the window. And then the other story was that they were going to put the cat in the microwave mm. um, if that person didn't, you know, come back when they were supposed to come back. And so clearly, you know, pets are being leveraged uh, in, in a terrible situation, and that's certainly not good for individuals, families, or, or the pet. Um, and, and so, you know, I think being able to provide options um, by working with domestic violence facilities across the country and even creating a larger movement, right, beyond even just that, how can we get federal funding? How did we work on the PAWS Act? You know, how can we continue to work on the Purple Leash Project to raise awareness and create donations, et cetera? You know, that's really uh, uh, the momentum in the movement. But, I, I, you know, I'll be honest with you, Steve, I, I think, you know, um, a time like this to, to just let people know that this is an issue, number one. And then number two, how can people get involved 
to, you know, really make a change is so important. And, and that's even what we did from the early on. It was about even beyond just going to uh, people out in the community. How could we even work with organized domestic violence shelters across the country to help them understand that there are options? And, you know, by using some of the work that Purina and URI did, and, you know, URI created a beautiful white paper, how can we go across the country and share that with other organizations to help empower them and, to, and give them kind of a, a roadmap, if you will, to, uh, to make change? And you and I have heard uh, many, many touching stories from very heroic women, generally, who couldn't leave, couldn't leave, couldn't leave, because the abuser would threaten the dog or the cat. And you brought up cat, by the way, and I want to talk about the abusers more in a moment, but uh, gosh, who was it? It was a veterinarian at one of these events you and I were both at, and I was moderating, and I asked the question, who do you think gets abused more often, dogs or cats? And the answer was cats, which surprised me. And and the explanation is they can more easily be abused. Yes, I think I recall that actually. Yeah, and and that's I, I mean that that's a challenge. But I mean uh, I know when we started first working with URI, you know their work went even beyond just cats and and dogs, right? Um, turtles, you know, fish, etc. I mean the reality is that that pet can be used as a leverage point. Um, in, in a way that is not good, right, for that individual or that family and to, to escape. And, and that's where, you know, the goal here is, how, you know, to really work collaboratively. And that's, I'll bring this up because I think this is an important point. You know, obviously, Purina, this is, we're very passionate about this, all the way up to our CEO, Neenoli Kruger, and others at our company. Um, we're extremely passionate about putting, you know, a lot of force of effort, uh, money, time, around this, but this really is a group effort. It's working with nonprofits like, you know, URI, it's working with Red Rover, it's working with government agencies, it's working with leaders in the field, uh, academicians, etc., uh, veterinary associations, you know, shelter associations. You know, that's what it's going to take to really put everyone's head together and to come up with solutions. And that's what's worked so well so far, to be honest with you, and, and so well successfully. I mean, we're not, we're definitely not there, you know, but I, I think we've come a long way in the last 10 years. Well, later I want to talk about how people can help, uh, because uh, it turns out uh, that during the pandemic, it's been called, in fact, by, I mentioned the National Link Coalition, they've called it the pandemic within the pandemic, and that is how the incidence of domestic violence has skyrocketed from 2000, late 2019 on through today. Uh, have you heard the same thing? Um, I have. Yes, I, I have. And that's why, and that's why, honestly, you know, <clears throat> what I love about this opportunity to speak with you, Steve, is, you know, knowing that October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, you know, we, we, we can help bring awareness to this other facet of that challenge, which is domestic violence and pets. And then, you know, later on, we can talk about how people can get involved, be it a donation, be it about learning more. Uh, Etc. Just to see if we can continue this movement because I think we've come a long way um, and it's been very successful. Um, but I think you know we still have a ways to go with the goals um, to really bring true change. All right, we'll be back with Dr. Kurt Venader. Much more to talk about as he alludes to on WGN. 
So this is good news and bad news. I mean, the good news is our pets are living longer than ever before. I'm talking primarily dogs and cats here, and that is wonderful. Lots of reasons for that. I guess number one on the list is proper veterinary care and the fact that it's the human-animal bond being as intense as it is. For cats, we're keeping them indoors. That definitely improves their odds of living a longer, healthier life. Uh, But then living a longer life means that you are prone to diseases of old age, which include cancer. Not all cancers occur in primarily older pets, but most do. No matter, it's not a word anyone ever wants to hear for a family member at all. A family member who's human or a family member who's not so human, it can be devastating to hear just that word. But there's actually good news when it comes to cancer care, and we're going to go deep, if you will, next week as we talk about that. And we also talk about an upcoming event that virtually anyone can participate in. That's next week, right here on Steve Dale's Pet World. Dr. Kurt Venator is the Chief Veterinary Officer at Purina. We're talking about domestic violence, because after all, October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Why are we talking about domestic violence, though, on a pet show? Well, among other reasons, because if a person is being violated in some way, well, the pet probably is, too. Statistically, that is very much the case, or the other other way around. In fact, sometimes some of the uh, abusers sort of, quote-unquote, practice on a pet first, or they want to demonstrate their control by using the pet first. Now, veterinarians come into this in several different ways, Dr. Venator. One is I know you advocate when veterinarians suspect something when doing a physical exam. In fact, it's mandated in an increasing number of states that veterinarians speak up and say, hey, I'm seeing something. The problem is, who do they speak up to and are those state agencies already overburdened going to do anything about it? That's great. You know, Steve, that, that's a great question. I think, I think it really starts first with just awareness, right, it, which is one of the things we've worked on with, um, you know, a variety of organizations, the Purple East Project, et cetera, as well as, as you know, we have an extensive um, program with the uh, U.S. veterinary schools. And so part of it is just to get the message out that, you know, domestic violence and the association with pets um, is, uh, you know, a very challenging topic. And to try to help, um, especially the students across the country, the veterinary students that go through four years of vet school, to help train them early on in, in what to look for and, you know, what to do, what to do next, and to feel empowered, if you will, um, to, you know, actually say something um, and, 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 you know, reach out uh, as appropriate. Because I think the reality is, to your point, um, domestic violence survivors and their pets are, uh, can, can at times be, um, you know, hidden. Um, and, and sometimes the veterinarian is an individual who can actually see. I mean, first off, you know, right, during a physical exam, they're going to be able to see if this, this dog or this cat or another pet has received abuse. Uh, and then they have to be cognizant of that and think, well, wait a minute, you know, if the person sitting in the exam room with me as well, you know, maybe, maybe suffering or having issues, how do we, how do, how do we deal with that appropriately? And these pets do suffer. So I want to talk about the pet part of it first in two different ways. First of all, they may physically be abused. Clearly, then they're suffering. But there is the psychological abuse, too. We know that in households, for example, where there's a lot of screaming and yelling, 
that pets don't do as well and can develop behavior problems on their own. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure, sure, Steve. And well, you know, you're a certified animal behaviorist, and so this is this is certainly right right in your wheelhouse, my friend. But you know, the challenge is right. I, I think when we think about abuse, we immediately go to the physical aspect when it comes to pets, and that can be very clear, right, from from an X-ray or physical exam. I think the emotional toll on pets can be quite extreme. I mean, I, I think many of us have seen this in our own lives. Um, let's say with a rescued pet with an unknown history or background that is afraid of oftentimes, let's be honest, men, right? Um, or, you know, uh, people wearing baseball hats or things of that nature. They've identified an association uh, between um, a certain look and feel, if you will, and their prior experience. And, and that can be challenging. To your point, it can lead to a number of many, many different behavioral issues. It can lead to fear it can lead to anxiety. Some of that, in, in addition, right, can lead to aggression or uh, out of that fear um, and, and a whole host of other things. And, and, and the unfortunate thing is, you know, uh, these pets are just, you know, beautiful creatures that, that should be part of the family, um, that should enrich the bond, right, and, uh, between that, that owner, that pet, the pet owner, and, and, and the family members. And so I think recognizing ways to help to interject ways to provide solutions, it's not only good for the pet, but it's also good for the, for the pet owner and the family. And talk about some of those solutions. So let's say now uh, she's had enough, and she has two kids and a dog and a cat, and she just wants to leave, leave the situation. The problem is if she leaves the dog and the cat behind, she knows they may suffer consequences. Also, those two kids, the only thing holding them together might be the dog and the cat. But the reality that you spoke about is that not in New York City, thanks in part to Purina, but in many communities all over the country, there is nowhere to go that you can take the pets. Can you talk about that? Yes, yes. And so I think, I think uh, since 2013, I think we've come a long way, right? I, I believe the numbers back then were 10% of domestic violence shelters across the U.S. were pet-friendly. We're now up to 17%, um, which I think is, you know, a really a huge number. Our, our goals moving forward with our partner, Red Rover, which is an amazing organization, is to hit 25% of domestic violence shelters by the year 2025. And so what I would suggest is if someone is looking to flee from domestic violence with their pets, there are many avenues that they can go to. But obviously, it, you know, the, the, the simplest one would be to go to www.redrover.org, or you can go to www.purina.com uh, and look up Purple Leash, the Purple Leash Project. Because part of our desire in partnership with Red Rover is to get the information out there, to let people know that while it may not be every shelter in the country, there are options available. And how can we educate people and let them know that, you know, they have opportunities if they're trying to flee a a terrible situation with their pet? And it's important to bring the pet with. Having said that, as we've talked about, The good news is there's good news and bad news in Chicago. So the bad news is, to my knowledge, there isn't a domestic violence shelter that is even close to allowing even a pet 
goldfish, let, let alone a dog or a cat. Uh, they live in dormitory-type situations, and they feel, for a variety of reasons, uh, which I greatly understand, it, it can't be done. Uh, so until those living situations become private, uh, which would be better, one would think, anyway, uh, th- that probably isn't going to change in a city the size of Chicago. It's crazy. But the good news, if there is, if you call it good news, is that, to my knowledge, Pause Chicago and I know Anti-Cruelty Society do accept the animals. It's... The good news is they're out of danger. They will be safe at the animal shelter. The bad news is they're still not with the family, Dr. Venator. Right. Well, you know what? The way I think I look at this as a veterinarian is, you know, there are a number of options available. And that's, to your point, that that's the good news. You know, I think for a long time, you know, especially as a behaviorist, you, you know, you'd agree that the cohabitation model, right, living in the same apartment with your pet, you know, to, to get all those beautiful benefits both ways, on both ends of the leash, if you will, right, for the person as well as the pet. That's kind of the gold standard. That being said, you know, the other two classic models that do work and do provide a solution would be, um, you know, kind of housing elsewhere, um, that's another option, or fostering. Um, for a period of time. Sure. Uh, and, and, and sometimes, you know, the reality is the shelters may not either have the space, right, or there could be some other, you know, restraints, et cetera, on, on doing that. Uh, you know, however, you know, if you can build a shelter from the ground up, like we did in New York City with URI many years ago, you know, uh, with pets in mind in, in a cohabitation model, I, I think many experts would say that's, that's the gold standard. But that being said, you have to work with, you know, what you have in front of you. And so I even just think the concept of having this conversation, letting, you know, people become aware that, that you know, shelters are becoming more receptive to this, that 17% now are, are, are pet-friendly, uh, and then consider, okay, what are our other options? Um, if, you can, if you can free domestic violence and you may have to, you know, foster that pet for a period of time, and or, you know, put them in, uh, you know, a facility next door to the shelter, right? Um, that's still uh, a solution that some people may not be aware of. And for me, ultimately, it's about removing that roadblock to escaping domestic violence for that individual and that pet. Yeah, I understand. Uh, we'll talk more about what you can do. And yeah, there are things you can do to make a difference to help others, as well as what's called the PAUSE Act. We'll find out about that when we come back on WGN. Dr. Kurt Venator is the Chief Veterinary Officer at Purina. October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and we're talking about how and why a pet food company is so incredibly involved in this movement. And in fact, Purina has made an extraordinary difference. It all begins in part with the PAUSE Act that Purina was a part of. Can you talk about that? Yeah, certainly, Steve. Um, thank you. Yeah, so uh, in addition to our work with many of these organizations, um, we also worked with them on um, the Pets and Women Safety Act down in D.C. on Capitol Hill. Um, I'm very proud to say that uh, this was passed in 2018, and uh, I'd say due to the significant efforts on the part of many of these organizations um, uh, and Purina, and many other partners. So the bill is designed to help programs uh, provide shelter and housing assistance to domestic violence victims 
um, and their pets and urges states to allow pets to be included under protection orders. So this was a huge win, right? I mean, because we, throughout our, you know, the program, we've talked about the evolution, this kind of journey into the Purple Leash project that started in 2013. And then by 2018, to actually find federal funding for this was huge. And, and then again, the theme that we've been talking about is it's not just the monetary investment, it's also increasing awareness about the nature of this problem, as well as where people can go to find solutions, right? Where can they go to, to help understand how they can escape domestic violence with their pets? And as we spoke about since 2018, the number of domestic violence incidents, which always had been considered, it's every, all the experts, all the experts have said, okay, no matter what you read, the numbers are probably far higher because we don't know if it's not reported and we don't know how many people don't report domestic violence. And during the pandemic, there was a surge in domestic violence. Well, now, Purina, as you've talked about several times, and others have partnered, and the outcome is more domestic violence shelters, allowing animals, dogs and cats in particular, uh, some in New York City, for example, even welcoming those animals. And it turned out in New York City, there was a surprising outcome, not surprising if you think about it, that those dogs in particular, just the friendly dogs walking the hallway, actually provided two services, if you will. One, to the family, particularly to children, but everyone in the family. Just doing what dogs do to help people through it, kind of a pharmaceutical that you pet. The other, the dogs did the same thing for others who didn't have a pet, but like dogs, walking down the hallway, suffering through all they have to deal with, being a victim of domestic violence, and trying to get their life back in gear, just petting a dog for adults, but in particular for the children, turned out to be therapeutic for them, so much so that it was noticed by staff. Can, can you talk about that? Sure. Well, we, we know that pets, right, can have, uh, you know, just a wonderful influence on our lives, but also vice versa. You know, to your point, I think, I think the medical community, especially the human medical community, always talks about the powerful influence and the positive influence of pets on people. But the flip side is also true. You know, when you're spending time with that, that, that dog or that cat and you're petting them, you're giving them enrichment, you're giving them engagement, you're giving them love. And that will change uh, from a physiological standpoint and an emotional standpoint in a positive way how they feel as well. And so we know that having pets in our lives, to, you know, can offer so many different benefits to us, right? It can help lower blood pressure, cholesterol, triglycerides. It helps increase with activity in our lives. We also know emotionally it's great for you know, young teens and helps with self-esteem and making them feel part of the community. And the flip side's true when you actually look at our engagement with pets as well, you know, in terms of helping uh, reduce cortisol levels and things of that nature. Um, and, and so the beautiful thing is it's a, it's a win-win in both ways, I'd say. And that's where, you know, to your point earlier, the cohabitation model in which you can actually have your pets in, in, in the shelter is, is a wonderful thing. That being said, though, we just want to make sure that people and their pets can escape domestic violence. And so if that's not an available option, you know, uh, another model in which you can put the pet somewhere else or, um, you know, shelter them, et cetera, 
is is uh, still a very viable um, positive option. Dr. Venator, how can people get involved or help uh, this cause in some way? Sure, I would say you know it, it's wonderful to work with our, our partner. Um, that's called Red Rover. Um, our partnership on the Purple Leash Project started in 2019, and Red Rover's mission is to bring animals and their owners from crisis to care. So they can go to www.redrover.org to see how they can get involved. They can also go to www.purina.com to learn more. Our, our goal here is to educate, uh, spread awareness, there are options then on both of those websites to donate, to volunteer to help, to donate to a shelter's wish list, and or, or unfortunately, if needed, to reach out to get help. Perfect. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Dr. Penader. And by the way, when we post this at WGNRadio.com and on my website, SteveDale.tv, what we will do is we'll put a hotline in there for domestic violence as well, because... It is about awareness, and it's about stepping up and saying something if you see something in your community. Thank you for the work you're doing and that Purina is doing. This is really important. Dr. Venator, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Steve. Appreciate it greatly. The Transportation Security Administration is offering new information and a warning when it comes to traveling with pets. The warning is surprising to me. Here's the warning. The warning is, you know the conveyor that you put your computer, ladies put their purses on, you put your suitcase, maybe your carry-on luggage on it, and it goes through an x-ray. People are putting carriers on there with pets inside. What? (laughs) And it prompted the TSA to respond, to say, don't do that. Instead, what you do is you're going to walk through where you walk through with the carrier, if the pet is in a carrier or a dog on a leash, and you just simply walk through. Now, with a cat, what I suggest, the TSA doesn't, I'm looking at their information, I've got it right here. They're not suggesting this, but I do. Every now and again, you hear about someone taking a cat out of a carrier, and then the cat gets loose in the airport because the cat is so frightened by all the noise the strange smells and commotion going on at the airport jumps out of the person's arms. Well, if you can harness and leash train the cat before traveling with the cat now, if the cat tries to jump out of your arms, the cat's not going to get far because you're holding on to the leash. If you have a dog or a cat that is afraid, what you can do is ask the TSA in advance, can I go into a private room? Uh, not in advance, but when you're there, but know in advance that it's going to take a bit of extra time. So not at every airport, but larger airports, apparently they have rooms for this where you can go inside. There's a door that closes. The pet cannot escape because there's a closed door and you get kind of a private one-on-one inspection, if you will. Remember, cats in carriers. Train them to be in carriers in advance. Same with small dogs. We'll talk to you next week bright and early on WGN.